Hi, everybody, and welcome to the NDSC podcast, a place to share ideas for future and new management doctoral students. I am your host, Jose, and I am excited to bring you these new three episodes recorded live at the SMA annual meeting. These new three episodes will have a special topic, academic mentoring and advisory. I hope you enjoy them. Welcome again. My next guests are Associate Professor Blake Matthias and Associate Professor Shelby Solomon. The cool thing about this episode is that Blake was Shelby's advisor and mentor at LSU. They continue to work, collaborate together in different projects and are still very good friends. So I think this is a great example of how to build a nice relationship as a PhD student with an advisor and growing it along your career. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, perfect. Um, so I'm here with Blake and with Shelby. Um, and well, I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. Uh, and these, these sessions are on mentorship, academic mentorship in particular. And I think this is gonna be a fun one, a uh, very interesting one. So I, I just wanna, if you can please briefly introduce. And, and first, the first thing that I wanna ask is more just about yourselves as individuals of a person. And then we can go into your academic roles uh, where you're working right now, where you studied, but first something that you want to share with uh, our audience on who you are outside of academia. Yeah, I can go first. This is uh, Blake Matthias. Um, yeah, I'm still a, a aspiring um, footballer, you know, at heart, um, or soccer, if for those in, in the U.S. I'm still looking to get paid and, and, and play at the World Cup. I think my, my chances are diminishing, but uh, I love to play <laughs> soccer um, and I am on a uh, mission to go to all the U.S. national parks, and I'm about two-thirds of the way there. So um, that's uh, some of what I enjoy doing outside of, uh, outside of the academic world. Do you have a, a team in the soccer that you kind of like Ooh. you're a big fan or not? I'm just a fan of uh, soccer. Um, I've been recently supporting jumping on the bandwagon of Leeds United because they have now an American manager and a few players, but... Uh, um, no, no team specific. And and Ted Lasso, you do you like Ted Lasso? I, I like Ted Lasso. So I actually showed the Ted Lasso originated about ten years ago from NBC Sports, and I actually showed a clip of it years ago before they made the show because it was a short promo um, to promote um, the Premier League for for NBC, and so I um, I have seen Ted Lasso nice. for sure. What about you, Shelley? Well. Uh, I'm an aspiring herpetologist, but somehow I got into studying entrepreneurs and stuff. <laughs> I grew up watching oh, Crocodile Hunter and all of that kind of stuff, so I always like to, you know, go out and explore and and run and, you know, so on my on the side I I enjoy running a whole lot. I also enjoy learning as much as I can about plants and animals. Oddly, uh, recently I have a four-year-old son now, so. I can kind of blame him on a lot of pushing my hobbies. So it's like, yeah, we need to get, we need to get little John a snake, and we need to get him these birds and stuff to take care of. And <laughs> you know, he he should he should really learn about growing exotic plants in the backyard. We we need to start doing this too, and tear out the grass and start growing a forest. So 
that, that's that's kind of my hobbies is that and uh, and and running and trying to see as much stuff as I can out in the wild when I can. So do you have any 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 pets, uh, fun pets that most people would consider a little bit weird? Well, so I live in Florida, so living in Florida, it's kind of a prerequisite that you have to get some sort of jungle cats and, and, and reptiles. So I picked up Bengal cats, which I guess are the, you know, the most tamed down version of a, wow. somewhat of a quasi-hybrid cat. And I also picked <laughs> up a boa constrictor. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the prerequisite to living out there. <laughs> I was expecting the, sp the the tarantula or the snake. I wasn't expecting the Bengal at all. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty cool. Well, man. Bengal cat. So it's a hybrid between yeah. a domestic cat and a Asian leopard cat. Nice, <laughs> nice, man. That's awesome. Um, okay, so now, um, well, and and you can kind of like introduce where are you right now and maybe where you did your PhD, but why you chose. Uh, become an academic, becoming a professor, and kind of like, what was the story behind that, right? What, what, like the decision process, when you said like, yes, this is what I want, mm -hmm. and then how you went through like, I want to go to this program, or, or and kind of like that story. Yeah, I can, I can jump in first. Um, so I think for me, I grew up in a, a family business. My dad was a serial entrepreneur, and so I was always around entrepreneurship, and I, and I loved it, um, and I was kind of, out of college, I was working in the in a corporate setting. I always knew I wanted to go back to school. I just wasn't sure um, what necessarily. And I really, I kind of, I did not, I did not necessarily know what research was when I started to look at PhD programs. Um, but I realized that here I could make a career out of out of teaching and seeing all sorts of different types of businesses. So I was making the decision: Do I want to go back and take over a family business? where you get to kind of look at one business or do I want the exposure to help other students work on, you know, hundreds of different types of, of businesses. And so for me, it was the idea of, of seeing all of these. Um, and what I've discovered over the years is seeing all these ventures, all these students who have these, you know, sometimes not so great ideas, sometimes <laughs> good ideas um, and helping like nurture and grow their businesses. So that was what really uh, drove me to the, to the career. Um, and so I, I started off my PhD is from the University of Tennessee, um, and now I'm at uh, Indiana University. It's my fifth year there, and so I'm associate professor um, there. And so I've been um, in this career for I've been teaching for ten years and in it for about twelve. So nice. um, and uh, no regrets so far. Pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, I I guess what pulled me into academia was. Um, Growing up, my pop, he was a, he has a PhD and he's an engineer and he used to always come home and tell me about experiments or different things he was doing and mm. go to the take your son to work day and say these like all sorts of, you know, cool robotics and satellites and different things that he'd be working with and, you know, just to see that he was doing something different every day uh, intrigued me. I, I later found out I do not have the quantitative skills to be an engineer so it was like well yeah but like life sciences but then that's kind of a that's more of a daydream than <laughs> a, a career for most people so I, I knew I wanted to do something where it was different every day I'd worked a few jobs in industry and just the, the idea of doing the same thing over and over just drove me insane and I realized well you know I can study businesses and, and there, there's other avenues to go into um 
So I like the idea of you know entrepreneurship is you're still making stuff kind of like a like an engineer you're still making and creating and building things it's just it's a little bit of a different story that goes into it and um, you know with academia you're you're doing something different every day I mean yeah there's teaching but that's up to you you can make it different every day if you want and you you have your own projects and everything that you're working on and you know maybe they're not with satellites or robots but. <laughs> You know, meet a lot of interesting people, doing interviews and everything. So I got into a PhD program at LSU. That's where I met Blake. And uh, since graduating, I've bounced around a bit. I was a professor over at Roger Williams University. And since then, I've moved to University of West Florida, where I'm now an associate professor. Nice. So that, I think that's that's a good, uh, just kind of like to put the timeline Because Blake uh, talked about doing your, you did your PhD at Tennessee, yeah. and then from Tennessee you went to LSU. I did, yes, actually. And that's where, that. where that's where we overlapped. Shelby that's where exactly overlapped. Shelby and, and, and Blake uh, overlapped, and then Blake uh, is now at Indiana. From yes. LSU went to Indiana, right? Correct. Okay, yes. and then Shelby already shared uh, how it was uh, his journey. Okay, so now and, I, and we're gonna talk more about their relationship and specifically with these sessions focusing on academic mentoring. I think that's the cool part of these two guests, right? And, and sharing their experience. But before that, um, what's the best part of this gig? What's your favorite thing about being a professor? So you, I think you said it before we started this interview. Like mm. this, this interview was an excuse for you to meet the people that you wanted to meet. And <laughs> to me, that that is what is most enjoyable. So I do qualitative research with entrepreneurs shoot, it's an excuse to go interview whoever I want. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I have a series of research on craft breweries and, you know, we've talked about craft before and it's just an excuse, it's just something that I find interesting and fascinating and so it gives me an excuse to go meet people who own interesting businesses, get to know them, um, get to understand how their business works um, and then bringing some of what you learn both into writing through your research, but then also to your students as well through teaching. And so that's, that's what I love the most is like seeing like all the different, uh, all the different businesses mm -hmm. and, and meeting people who are running those. Nice. Oh yeah. The flexibility for sure is, you know, that's, that's, that's what got me here is I just don't want to do the same thing day in and day out and mm -hmm. that you can research all of these different topics. I mean, I, I talk to people and they're like, Oh, wait, What exactly are you studying with entrepreneurship? You're talking about like car companies and these craft businesses and all these different things. And it's like, what's what's the common thread? And it's like, well, you don't want to get into the weeds and start explaining theories and stuff. But like, yeah, it's the flexibility of I, there's a whole big swath of things that I can study and you can you can make it your own. And it's it's totally awesome for in that regard. Yeah, I love in our like the first uh, episode our interview I recorded was with Jason Colquitt. And he goes to a very theoretical explanation of why this is like the best job. Mm -hmm. And one of like, I think he, he mentions like four key organizational behavior principles and all of like very theoretical, but one of it is like diversity of task, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's a little bit what you're mentioning. And I, I, I feel heavily identified with that too. I think, yeah, we have a lot of flexibility and diversity. So now the, the other side of the coin would be what's the most challenging part, right? Because it's not all rainbows and clouds and it's all not happy there's sometimes challenges what what do you think is that challenging stuff from our career yeah for for my standpoint i would say i'd love to write and to do this career you you have to enjoy it a little bit uh, 
but I hate to rewrite. Mm. Um, and that's what you realize quickly is, is 90% of the job is rewriting and uh, the publication process. And I would say, for me at least, it, it never gets that much easier. Like okay. it's, always, um, it's always challenging. And um, so for me, I, I, uh, I struggle with the, the rewriting process, the publishing process. It's long, it's time consuming. Um, and, uh, it's, it's something that, um, is there and is, is a, even a struggle now for me, I think, uh, getting through that process. So that's, that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a lot of things move at It's just sort of a glacial play, pace, you know, like mm-hmm. your successes never really come that fast. Like by the time you start publishing stuff and once you get the acceptance and everything, like. You saw it coming for so long, and there was so much work that went into it that it's never really that moment where it's like, "Yeah, I did it." Mm-hmm. Things and and the rejections are are so common and immediate, so it's a lot of immediate pain and very very slow trickled out rewards <laughs> that, that you get. But yeah, you, you got to have a thick skin and 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 yeah, you got you got to take rejection quite commonly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree definitely. I, I I mean I'm I'm very inexperienced in the in the review process, but yeah, I, I think it's it's something that it's always a challenge. You're always getting humbled, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's good, right? It keeps you humble, that's right. So now I want to go into the topic that like I wanted to focus more during SMA, and it's uh, these mentorship relationships. I think, and maybe again, right, being very selfish, and uh, I'm right in the like in this point where I'm starting my dissertation, building my committee. I, I now know the people in my in my department and I, I understand how they work. I understand what their expertise is. They're kind of like fit, right? So now it's this process of I'm, I'm, I'm building relationships through the program and kind of like building these mentorship relationships. But I wanted to hear a little bit from your perspective as now professors that are working maybe with students and you like, and this is a particular, like I think cool one, right? I have you who were the chair of Shelby, right? At LSU how that relationship went and I think well maybe even even before that to start why do you think it's like academic mentorship is unique and it's important right because I, I you hear a lot like this is an apprenticeship model right mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll start with mine so I'll, I'll go back to the beginning when I started to get my PhD I would say one of I'll, I'll highlight two people who were really influential so um, David Williams who's still at Tennessee um, was very much a mentor to me and we were starting at the same time he is a professor me as a student and to me, it was great because we were both interested in some of the same things. Finding someone who was an untenured assistant who was eager to publish, I think, was very helpful mm-hmm. um, to my career. Because back to Shelby's point, it's sometimes things move slowly. And I think finding someone else who can work at your same pace and has the same interest. And I, I describe our relationship as like a ping pong or a tennis match. Like you're you're writing something and then you're sending it to somebody else and it's back and forth and back and forth. And I think for years, the way that we worked together was very, very well. We would just, he and I would work together um, and co-author papers and, and finding someone who was kind of early stage, I think was, was influential. Um, because he was earlier stage, then I, my advisor for my dissertation was... Um, was Ann Smith, and I think for for that she just had a passion for qualitative research, and I knew pretty early on that that was something that I wanted to do and has always been kind of 
and still is the, the way that I go about answering research questions. And so um, having her, um, not just knowledge, but also support of doing that type of research was very influential to me. Um, so that's a little bit about, I guess, my background. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I think going into then taking on the professor role and becoming advisor, um, I would say there's there's kind of two different models that a lot of schools use, and I'll highlight the differences. So at Tennessee, you kind of got to work with a bunch of different professors and you rotated um, th- through who you worked with. At Indiana, we have a bit more of a someone comes in and you work with a single advisor. And I think for any PhD students, that's important to know um, you know, what kind of model works for you. Do you, you know, you may come in with a very clear, I know what I want to study. Um, and so I know who I want to work with, but you may not, you may be kind of like up in the air. And so I think figuring out the program that sort of works for you, because some programs give more exposure to more professors. Some, you kind of come in with a well-defined, like, I know what I want to do and who I want to work with. Um, I would say, you know, Shelby and I working together was a little bit serendipitous because he was already at LSU and was interested in some of the same topics and any relationship I should say should happen organically it mm. should not be forced yes we we had some of the same interests some of the same interest in entrepreneurship in the same context and so it, it just I would say happened uh, naturally I'll turn yeah. it over to Shell to kind of share more about that and then maybe I'll jump in again yeah yeah it, yeah, it was kind of odd how we managed to cross paths because originally I was studying organizational behavior and I was working with this guy Jeremy Buse uh was who I was mentoring with for a, a while and really super helpful, influential guy also. But um, yeah, like Blake was saying earlier, you know, you, you want to work with people who are early in their career, really working hard, motivated and everything. You're starting off, they're starting off and something about that does really mesh well. So yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, it's odd that we, we crossed paths that way, but I remember, yeah, hearing some stuff from Blake, and he was, like, talking about craft. I was like, oh, wait, craft? That's something I'm interested in. What are, what are you talking about? And um, I remember before that, it was funny because we were going to SMA with uh, some other friends once, and um, on the way back, we stop at a brewery, and uh, with one of the, the guy running the brewery starts talking about how he's, like, making bottles or doing something like that for some other brewery. It's like, how oh, is this coopetition stuff going on? And I'm talking about it with my friend Eric, and then we get back, and then Blake starts telling me that he's working on this coopetition paper in the beer industry. And it's like, wait, you, you stole my idea. I just had a few days ago. What were you talking about? But anyway, it was pretty serendipitous. So, yeah, it hit it off. And, you know, I think your advisors probably the most important thing because it is such an apprentice role you know what you, yeah what you learn from them is you, know, you learn more from them than you do in your your course materials i feel really i agree so i i guess if, if you could and i think these 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 conversations i mean there's a lot to to take out for them but if you could make it more like if there's three things right that you think are critical or like phd students should like okay consider when looking for a mentor and think like maybe like that like the relationship has to be organic what are like three or four things or maybe two right that you think are critical that students should like really think about when like because i think like the the most common one is oh i want i just want a big name right mm-hmm. i want somebody that has a big name a big reputation and maybe that helps but maybe that doesn't help right it, it depends right and i think there's other things that might be more important than just having a big name right and the other thing that i would ask um 
is also from your perspective, um, Shelby, and from your perspective, Blake, when you're mentoring someone, what are your expectations, right? Mm -hmm. What are I mean, if I'm if I'm giving my time, mm -hmm. right, to this person to help him, help her, what are my expectations? And on the other side, you as a student, what were the things that maybe Blake did that you felt like, oh, he's a good mentor, right? He's I feel like I'm in a rap. What what made you feel like okay, I, I made a, the right choice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll say two things. I think, yeah, looking for, um, there are different relationships. So there are people who go after the big name, and you got to figure out, I think, what you want. You know, working with someone who has published a lot um, can be very helpful for a career, but it's going to be a very different relationship, I mm. would say. I've, I've talked to people who've been in that, and it's a bit more transactional. It's a bit more, they maybe have had 10 other students before, so they're not going to get the same level of, perhaps relationship, not only in the program, but then also after the program. It's not to say that you won't publish with that person, but that person is working with so many other people that you're probably not going to get uh, the attention and build the relationship um, it, as you would if you worked with someone who's maybe earlier in their career or, or less prolific. Um, and so you kind of got to ask, you know, what do I want out of this? Do I want, you know, someone who can, you know, get get me published and or do I want something a bit more developmental and a, a bit more of a, of a relationship um, the second thing that well I'll turn it over to Shelby there's one there's something else I would like to add but I'll... yeah I mean I, I guess when I was looking for someone to work with it's like all right if you were to take away all of their publications and everything you were to run into this person on the street could you would you be able to work with them and get along and how nice. and be interested in it in, in Hearing what they have to say, I mean, that, that maybe that's one way I would look at it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is just someone who's who's looking to teach. I mean, because if, if you're like me and you're trying to get more from them than you did from your coursework, then you know you want somebody that's there that that's willing to teach and impart their knowledge on you. And I remember, you know, the one of the things that Blake used to do that was super helpful for me, and I guess still is just you get on the phone with him or you show up in his office and. Man, he's willing to sit around for till the cows come home to brainstorm <laughs> ideas or poke holes in anything you you're thinking up, and just take turns with these sort of back and forth conversations until you sort of work out some sort of a idea or model. But yeah, exploring different literatures and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, I mean, we would just sit around and and, and talk for. Who knows? Hours on end, just trying to figure out. Okay, well, what's the angle for this study? And and you learn a lot in that process, also. I mean, just thinking through different problems, you start considering different lines of research that you had. And well, let's look into this a little bit deeper. And now you've you've learned about something that maybe it's a dead end, but you, you, yeah. it's just a circuitous thing that just keeps going. And you know, that's that's one of the super helpful things that I always found. Nice. I would I would encourage if you're if you're looking for an advisor mentor talk to people who have um, who have been through who have had them as a, an advisor. So for instance, you know one of the students I have now was Shelby's former student, and I think reaching out to people who've gone through that with that particular advisor or mentor you're thinking about and getting what was it like to work with this person. Um, I've started doing that with co-authors now, so. If I'm thinking about a co-author relationship, I'll reach out to someone who's who's written with this person before. What was it like to write with that person? Um, how how long did it take? What were they particularly good at, or what are their weaknesses? And so I would say, if you're thinking about 
you know, a, a, a mentorship or an advisor relationship to, to do that. Um, I would say the other thing that, that I always try to do with, with students of mine is, um, understand what their goals are. Mm. Um, where do you want to end up after you graduate with your PhD? Do you want to end up in a certain geographic location at a research one school? If so, what are some of the schools? Give me some names. And because to me that influences the extent to which I'm going to push them. It's going to influence, okay, do you want to be in a Southeast school? If so, you should be at SMA because that's where those schools are. And so I think for me early on as an advisor, kind of um, figuring out and, and having an advisor who knows kind of what your, not what their goals are for you. Every advisor's goal is going to be, I want you to, I want you to go to the best school, yeah. right? Yeah, Possible. Yeah. That's, but, but to me, it should be an advisor asking, what is it that you really want as a student? Um, because I'm going to push that student to help them achieve whatever, like whatever their desired outcome is. And I think that's really important because, and maybe in my perspective as a PhD student, you sometimes think like, oh, well, I don't want to show my true colors, right? Or what I really want. Mm-hmm. Because then maybe this person, if I don't want to go top, top mm-hmm. R1, maybe that person is not going to want to work with me, mm-hmm. right? But I guess if that's the response you get, well, you, sh- you shouldn't be working with him mm-hmm. from the start, right? I think those interests have to be aligned and there, there has to be that clear communication because you don't want to be working with somebody that has very different expectations as the one you have for yourself. So I think that's very important. And sometimes it's hard for, for peace students to kind of like, go through that process so um one thing uh, is so that i think it's pretty cool also from both of your relationship is how do you keep then that relationship going after you graduate right like okay now i moved to a different school now i'm not at lsu i'm at indiana and shelby you graduated but you're still collaborating you're still working together uh, and i feel that, that i think that's a great great thing to do and um, what do you think that happened there? What are the things that you both, the two guys do that help you like build that relationship and continue with that? Just keeping the pipeline open. Uh, you know, we have a couple other papers post dissertation that you keep that line of communication open. And then, you know, also if you find somebody that, that works with you or that has the same interest, then, you know, you, you can, it's not as transactional as, mm-hmm. as Blake was saying earlier, you know, when it's, it, transactional then once the papers dry up the friendship dries up but you know there's a legitimate friendship there then you can always hang out and everything yeah I I think from a PhD student perspective I would understand what your advisor is expecting after you graduate and I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example what I really appreciated my advisor Ann Smith whenever I finished my my dissertation she's she essentially looked at me and she said, you know, to be honest, I don't really care about anything entrepreneurship related. Um, she said, I, I, like your, I like your dissertation. I'm glad that you did it. Um, but you and, and others can go off and publish all the entrepreneurship stuff, and that's, and that's great. However, if you do anything qualitatively, meaning you, you, fo- you want to write a qualitative paper, you want to focus on a methods, write a methods piece out of your dissertation because I did some unique things with regard to the the way that I did my study she said I want to be involved in that and so Mm. keep me involved and I look back and I really appreciated her being just very honest and in terms of 
I want to be involved in this or I don't want to be involved in this because some advisors will expect, have an expectation of I'm going to be involved in all of your publications <laughs> going forward or everything that comes out of your dissertation, whether it's just a little bit related or not. And so um, I would encourage students to kind of figure out beforehand, like, what what is it? Do they do they want to keep working? Do, or will they expect to be you know authors on the pub on any publications or future publications? Um, um, and, and and making sure that that you're on the same page in, in terms of that. Nice. So to wrap it up, um, outside of that traditional same program dissertation academic mentorship relationship, um, what advice could you give when you want to build a relationship or get advice? Maybe not like a mentorship, but advice from someone outside of your program, right? Maybe another professor uh, as a PhD student, right? That you, you don't have that interaction in your seminar classes. You don't see him at your school in the office. You cannot drop right and knock and, hey, I want to talk. How, how can someone, uh, if there's an interest to build that relationship outside of their school, could work towards that? I think opportunities like SMAs are really good. I mean, this is ideal situation to run into people and, 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 and get chatting. I mean, there's always, it's such a small world in academia that everybody knows everybody in some regard. So there, there's, you know, it's, it's not the six degrees, it's like the one degree, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> where you'll find someone <laughs> who knows them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, Kinsey and, and we, we know you and it's like, I don't know how that chain works exactly, but yeah, real quick. So These kind of places are ideal for that. The other thing is I find that in academia, people love to talk about their research and, and, and talk about pro If you ask somebody, so what do you have going on now? They'll usually be happy to tell you all about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I remember when I was a PhD student, I used to email professors asking them questions and stuff. And yeah, all of, always they'd want to talk to you and tell, tell you all about it. And we're, we're pretty excited and passionate to, to, to discuss things and somebody says no then maybe that's a sign you don't want to work with them yeah <laughs> perfect yeah so i would say yeah conferences are a good starting point i would say one benefit uh, you know there are a few benefits of the pandemic but i would say one is just this norm of i mean we interacted over zoom you emailed you know you and i had emailed and um, yeah doing similar research and let's meet up over a zoom call And so to me, I've gotten to meet um, a lot of people, I would say over the last few years through that format, people reaching out. Uh, and I think, you know, Zoom has helped facilitate that initial, you know, and, and that kind of sets the stage to, to then meet in person at a conference or something. But but people reaching out and, and demonstrating that they're interested in your own, I mean, everybody likes to talk about themselves and their own research. <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, That's I've increasingly found myself jumping on Zoom calls and more than happy to do that. And so I would I would not hesitate if I was a PhD student to reach out to people who have research interests that are similar to you because you will often find that people are more than willing. Um, you know, it's not often that people uh, you know are 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 interested in the same types of things, and so you're typically more than willing to to interact with them if they are. Perfect. Well, I think that's all I have, but I wanted to take advantage of having you both here to make a, a last question mm -hmm. that goes out, like I'm not going to mentoring or anything like that, but uh, again, a selfish question, right? Qualitative research. I feel like, and I, I've heard this not only 
coming from me that is someone that is interested in that, it's a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how you navigated that challenge as a student and now that you're as a, a professor, because you're in the, well, maybe you already have tenure, but when you were looking tenure and everything, because that's what you hear, right? Like qualitative, it's, it's a risk and it takes mm -hmm. longer. And so ha some advice maybe for, for those students that like qualitative, but maybe they're doubtful about it. Mm -hmm. I find it to be a good way to sort of differentiate yourself a bit. Like, I, I think there's there's more reward than there is risk because it, it, bear in mind, I'm really bad at quantitative research and that's <laughs> that's why I'm not doing what my dad does. <laughs> But I felt like anytime I did quantitative research, people would annihilate me on all these random little terms and junk and like there's no way you can ever satisfy them was my experience. Okay. And it was like, ah, forget this. Well, here's this quote. And people were always interested in the quotes and liked to see what I had come across and thought it was an interesting context. And I didn't get all these heckling over my VIFs and whatever else, I don't know, all the terms and <laughs> modeling and stuff. So, yeah, I found it to be a good way to differentiate yourself and get out of that sort of what for me was a toxic debate. <laughs> But anyways, others, anyways, I, yeah, I, 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 I think there's more reward than there is risk. Nice. Yeah. I think there's an opportunity to do just more interesting, I mean, to, to Shelby's point, to differentiate yourself and do things that are really interesting. And we, we have the opportunity of studying really interesting contexts and, 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 qual and doing qualitative methods. Uh, it's just way more fascinating. Those job talks are, I've, I've been in, yeah. they're just much more exciting and, and can be much more engaging, I think. Um, and I think that helps you stand out. I, I would, um, I, I've heard people getting pushed back from, oh, you shouldn't do qualitative research. Um, you know, I, Uh, there, you can make a career out of doing qualitative research. I, I would say you may not publish as much as someone who does. You know, it, it, it is time consuming. It is a lot of work. Um, you will probably never pump out as many articles as someone who's doing a, a, a different type of method. Um, but to me, the, the research can be more impactful. It can be more engaging. It can be more interesting. And I think Um, you know, in general, you see more journals since I've started. So I've been in for a while. You know, you see more and more acceptance of qualitative research since I've started. So, um, you know, I would not be too um, uh, completely deterred. But there is lots of bad qualitative research out mm -hmm. there. And, and, and I would say just for anyone who's doing qualitative research, just don't shoot for the minimum. I think that's what I would encourage you um, to think about. When I first started, it was like, how few interviews can I do to, to get this thing out and published? And the more I'm in this, the more I would encourage, avoid, you know, trying to shoot for the mid, like I would, I would shoot. If you're thinking about doing qualitative research, it should be that you want, you don't want to end data collection because you're sort of fascinated. So interested so much into wanting to learn more about it. Um, And you, you can share that insight with that industry or those entrepreneurs or whoever it is that you're interviewing. So um, so I would say go for it if you're thinking about qualitative. I love it. I, I think that's it. The best way to wrap it up. And thank you very much. I don't want to take more of your time. We're at SMA. It's a fun conference, I'm going to say. So there's a lot of people to catch up. So again, thank you. And I hope everybody enjoys uh, this episode.
Thanks for joining me. And please stay in the loop for our next episode. I really hope everything we share here contributes to a happy and better PhD journey for you.